0: turn with me please in your bibles to the book of psalms if you will please in psalm 38 there you go brother brother Sammy Allen would always slap it like that you know brother Sammy oh i miss my buddy i praise the lord for that dear preacher and uh i miss him um Psalm 38, I had been praying about whether the Lord would have us come back again tonight in Psalm 40, and we may even do that again on tomorrow evening, whatever the Lord wants. I want to be obedient to it, but I uh, feel certain this is where the Lord wants us to be in the message tonight, and it is very much um, distinctly different from what uh, uh, our brother was just preaching. I, when he was preaching, I thought, Lord, surely you'd let me preach over there in Ezekiel 1 after he gets done with that. And uh, a vision of God, and uh, I, I mean, that just, I thought, now that'd be like putting icing on top of that good cake. He just, the Lord baked and sent us bread from heaven, and, and the Lord wouldn't let me do that. He won't let me do things the way I want to. Um, and that's the way it's supposed to be, because if we did anything the way we wanted to, flesh might glory in his presence. But when we obey the Lord, nobody will get any glory but him, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And he knows how to uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and he knows how to do these things with all long suffering and doctrine, and I'm trying to learn that. And I pray that the Lord would help us tonight in the message. I thank the Lord for the good preaching we have already heard. That was a good illustration about the uh, Uh, about the little dog and not bringing anything back with her and it all being gone and so forth. I was worried there for a moment. I thought he was going to tell us that the dog told him where she had been and what she had done. Um, My mother is a bit gullible sometimes. And uh, uh, when I was still living at home, uh, she told me to take some rent. Rurnt, y'all know what runt milk is? She told me to take some runt milk out to the cat and to pour it out. She said, we don't want to waste it. And uh, so the cat's on the piezer and take the runt milk out to her. And I took the runt milk out and poured it in a little pail there for her. And she knew that that was cat was smart. And she is, that real real uh, good instincts and so forth, barn cat. She's not, uh, she's not a pet, she's a barn cat. And uh, I come in, I told mother, I said, you wouldn't believe what that cat did. That cat, I took that milk out there and I poured it in that pan. And I'm telling you, she took both of her paws and turned that pan up sideways and picked it up off of the floor and turned it up this way and drunk the whole thing down. And Mother was just on the edge of her seat listening to everything I said. And uh, I said, then she set that pan down and took one paw and wiped her mouth off clean. And she was believing me up until now. And I said, then she looked at me and said, thank you. And she suddenly when I told her that the cat talked to me, didn't believe what I was saying. And so I was following the preacher as far as what I could, and I was only going to listen to the story until he told me the dog said what had happened while she was gone. So you, you cut it off just in time to keep me, preacher. And I thank the Lord for the fact that we will arrive in a land of no mores where there'll be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sea, no more selfishness, no more Satan, no more separation. And, uh, I mean, I was alliterating there with you, brother. Praise God, what a place that's going to be. And uh, when you began singing and said the words in the song, we'll see our Lord, and then we'll see Dad and Mother. And, of course, ain't nothing that'll compare to seeing the Lord. I'm, I mean, there's not anything in the whole... Uh, existence of humanity and time eternity that will compare with seeing the Lord. Uh, but I thank the Lord that I'll see dad and mother. And when you sung that, it struck me that so, there'll be so many that dad and mother didn't make it. And dad and mother didn't go, and dad and mother didn't know the Lord. Just before the service started tonight, matter of fact, just as I got in and sat down, the service began. Uh, there is at least a little bit of cell service here. I hadn't gotten any most of the day today, which has been such a relief I mean, that has been such a relief. Y'all don't know how many phone calls in a day I usually feel. Brother Randy knows how that goes. He's with me a lot of times. He understands ingoing and outbound calls sometimes will exceed 100 in a day. And uh, what a relief it has been to be outside of cell service for the most part. And, uh, but then a little bit of cell service here, and I got a message from my dad right when I came in the door tonight. Let me know him and Mama was praying for me. And somebody may listen to that song and think, I won't see dad and mother, but brother, I will. Praise God, and I thank the Lord for that. Praise God for the Christian family. And I thank the Lord. And I'm rich tonight, not because i got fine houses and land and nice suits, so I thank the Lord for what I do have. I am grateful for that. But I'm a rich man tonight because I know the Lord and the people that I love that are close to me knows the Lord and we've laid up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. And where my treasury is there my heart is also. I appreciate the preaching this evening. What a blessing. Uh, and I was thinking, preacher, as you were finishing up about the Lord and what he knows and uh, how that he does know, and that's the way that we ought to approach things when we have questions of life. Lord, I don't know, but you know. And uh, I thank the Lord that he does. Uh, this is not exactly a real spiritual um, e- example, but uh, the former, the former uh, director of defense, secretary of defense, Donald Rumsfeld, said there was three types of intelligence three kinds of things concerning our spies and those that gather intelligence around the world. And he said these were the three uh, sources or types of information that a person could gather. He said there's the known knowns, there's the known unknowns, and then there are the unknown unknowns. The known knowns are what we know and we know that we know it. And then the known unknowns are the things we don't know, and we know that we don't know it. And then there is the unknown unknowns, and those are the things that we don't know it, and we don't know that we don't know it. And uh, those are the three areas of uh, intelligence and of information that we seek for. And I thought as he was preaching that there it is, that's certainly the case. There's a few things that I do know, and I know that I know it. I'm glad I know that I know that I know that I'm saved and I'm on my way to glory and that Jesus abides in my heart and that he's Lord and besides him there's not another. There are some known knowns and then there's a lot of known unknowns. There's a lot of things that I know that I do not know. A lot of things that I'm certain that I don't have any certainty about. A lot of things that I know that I'll never know while I'm in this world. And then there's those things that I don't know and I don't know it. And sometimes the absolute uncertainty and unknown of those things is what drives me batty. I like to know. I like to be on top of things. I like to have the details. There are some details the Lord just does not share with me and is not going to share with me and does not owe it to me to share those things with me. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord only operates in the first realm of those three areas. He does not operate in the realm of what He does not know Because he knows everything. There are no known unknowns, and there are no unknown unknowns to him. To him, everything is a known known. Amen. He knows it, and he knows that he knows it. Amen. And thank God we can have confidence and know that he knows it as well. What assurance that is. What assurance. Psalm chapter 38, if you found your place. And I hadn't said a thing about the message. I just wanted to testify about some things been said or done. That's what I do around the church where I pastor. Uh, I'll, I'll make commentary on the meeting and then preach. And so I'm just acting like I'm at home tonight. I thought when you got to singing, I thought if a fellow can't sing at his own meeting, where in the world can he sing? And so I praise the Lord for your singing. That was a blessing to me. Psalm 38, if you found your place and if you're able and willing, I would invite you to stand with us and we'll reverence the reading of the word of the Lord tonight. And my wife told me not to preach long tonight. And so I told her I will do my best to preach fast. So y'all listen close if you will. And we'll try to preach fast. If you'll listen close and listen fast, I'll try to preach fast. Psalm chapter 38 verse number 17. The word of the Lord says, For I am ready to halt. and My sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity." I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively and they are strong and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord, O oh my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Verse number 18 is our text tonight, where the psalmist says, For I will declare mine iniquity. You can be seated. Thank you for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. I will declare mine iniquity. Now, that does not sound like a real uplifting sermon title, and I'm sorry, that's what the Lord has given us tonight. And I must confess to you that the message is no more uplifting than the title is, But it's absolutely true what I'm about to share with you from the word of the Lord. We introduced this thing last night a little bit about these declarations from the scriptures. I've been preaching about it since February and can't seem to get away from it even in this meeting this week that the Lord has directed our heart in it. The apostle John beginning in his epistle the Bible said declaring unto us. And in verse 5 he says this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. When the old timers would see something that was surprising or exciting or remarkable, they would pause and say, well, I declare. And they normally wouldn't declare anything at all. They would just say, well, I declare. And it was for them just a matter of speech. But for the apostle John, his declaring was a very serious thing. And in every one of these occasions last night we looked at Psalm 40 and how he declared the works which thou hast done and thy thoughts which are to usward that cannot be reckoned up unto thee I would declare and speak of them. They are more than can be numbered. Oh, what a blessing it is, my friend. We looked last night at how he would declare his meditation towards me. I'm thankful the Lord is thinking about me. He does know. He is aware. There are no unknowns in my life or in your life with God. All there are are known knowns. And, my friend, he knows all the secret things. I remember when I was just a lad of a boy, and before I got saved, now I rejoice that the Lord sees everything, and He knows everything, and He sees everywhere, and He knows everything. But when I was a boy, my mom would sit in that glider in the living room, and set us children in the floor, and begin to tell us Bible stories, and share with us the things of God's Word, and... I learned most of the things that I preached from the Old Testament especially. I learned those Bible stories the way my mama taught them to me in the glider, in the living room, in the chair and telling us about the Lord and I have people come up to me a lot of times and say you read after so and so or have you uh, heard this one preach on that passage of scripture and where did you learn it from that point of view and most of the time it did not come from uh, Dr. Bottle Stopper's book though I am not opposed to that at all but most of the time I preach these accounts of the scriptures the way that my mother shared them to us while we were in the living room. And my mom would say when I was a boy that the Lord sees everything, son. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth beholding both the evil and the good. He sees it all and that that would worry me. And I'd say, Mama, you mean to tell me he even sees up under the roof? Sure he does, son. He sees him in the closet? Yes. I didn't want him to see in the closet. I mean, I had something in the closet here, and I didn't want Mom and Daddy to see, and I didn't want the Lord to see. You mean to see, you tell me he sees down in the basement? Oh, yes, son. He sees everything. And that upset me that he sees all of it. And now as a child of God, I take great solace in the fact that he he sees everything, sees everywhere. And it doesn't matter where I am and what I'm going through, the eyes of the Lord are upon me. But I'm going to tell you, when a person is in sin, it's a bother, it's a trouble to him. It is a stirring and a difficulty upon his heart when he comes to the awareness that God sees it all. That was Adam's problem in the Garden of Eden. Whenever he was naked and he was ashamed and he hid himself, and he was hiding from the voice of the Lord. Awareness of sin set in on him and he realized God saw him in the shape he was in that God knew who he was and the Lord asked him said who told you you were naked and my friend the Lord knew he was naked and the Lord knew about his nakedness. The Lord knew about his sin and I want to tell you the Lord knows about your sin and mine and I said last night in each one of these declarations some of which I shared with you yesterday evening in every occasion I will read these scriptures I would say that I was not there to see what these individuals saw in their lives and experience what they experienced but that I also had a personal account a personal witness a personal testimony I could say the same thing that they said I wish tonight I could stand here when I'm preaching Psalm 30 and say I don't know a thing in the world about what David's talking about and I've never had to confess my sin and I had never done anything wrong and there's nothing in my life that I'd ever have to be ashamed of but I'm afraid tonight I'd be telling you a fib and I have to say that I can relate to Psalm 38 quite well that I know what it is to become aware of my sin to see myself a little bit of the way that God sees me outside the blood of Jesus to become ashamed of who I am and to have to seek the Lord for forgiveness and for mercy on my soul. Today we look at this psalm and say I declare mine iniquity. This is a psalm of David the occasion of which is not absolutely certain but I believe and believe that it appears to have been written following the adulterous episode with Bathsheba. The psalmist is very remorseful for his sin and like those of our day he declares his iniquity of confession not of pride. He's ashamed of his sin. He regrets his sin and he turns from his wickedness and is seeking for relief and renewal. Listen to me tonight sin is nothing to be proud of. A Sin of no kind is anything to be proud of. Our president said over the weekend while men who think they're pretty and dress like women and have uh, altered their bodies in wicked ways, Uh, pranced around the yard, the lawn of the White House, unclothed and naked. And our President of the United States said uh, that this is really what America is about. America is about pride. God help us. The sad part is I really can't argue with the shape that America's in. I can't argue with what he said. We are a proud nation and a nation that needs to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. America has pranced off into sin and she no longer hides her sin but she declares it as Sodom. Amen. Oh God help us that we would have an entire month in this country on both the corporate and national calendar to celebrate sin of the most wicked and perverse kinds and be proud of that sin. Isaiah 3 and 9 tells us of a generation that declares their sin as our day does. The show of their countenance does witness against the end. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. But David's, my friend, declaration of his iniquity is one of shame It is one of regret. It is one of repentance. If you forget everything else I preach tonight, hear what I'm about to say. The sodomite response to sin is to celebrate it. And when I say sodomite response, I don't just mean that of the LGBTQIA++ community. My friend, I mean that of Sodom and Gomorrah, of the Old Testament. The sodomite, Sodom and Gomorrah response to sin sin is to celebrate it and be proud of it. But the scriptural response to sin is to turn from it to be ashamed of it to confess it, to forsake it and to seek forgiveness for it. Amen. The sodomite response to sin is to be proud of it. The scriptural response of sin, my friend, is to turn from it. And when David sees his iniquity and he declares his iniquity, it's not anything he's proud of but he hangs his head in shame and said I declare mine iniquity oh God help us this word iniquity is unrighteousness lawlessness the Bible often uses this word to describe evil and wickedness iniquity can suggest different types of evil such as transgressions of spiritual law and crimes against God moral or legal wrongs or depravity and sin generally. In this specific passage of scripture this iniquity is a word that means perversity iniquity of a moral evil an occasion of immorality or uncleanness it's important for us to note that the biblical response for a person who has sinned and immorality and fornication and adultery and uncleanness. And this, uh, this horrible work uh, that is unnatural in our day. Uh, my friend, of uh, the LGBTQIA, whatever else they have, uh, business, the biblical response uh, is to be ashamed of it, uh, to turn from it, uh, to repent, uh, and to ask God for forgiveness of all you have done. Amen. Oh, my friend, James chapter 4 verse number 8 says, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. I have folks tell me when I preach like this, you just want me to feel bad. You want me to feel guilty. Buddy, you don't have to feel nothing. You're guilty whether you ever feel it or not. If you are guilty, you ought to feel guilty. And by the way, you don't need salvation from feeling bad. You need salvation from being bad. You need salvation from doing bad. You need salvation from the Lord. My friend, deliverance from him to save you from yourself and to save you from Satan and from save you from sin. And my friend, until you turn from yourself and get ashamed of what you've done, you're never going to get right with God. And by the way, when you do bad, you ought to feel bad. When you do wrong, You ought to feel bad about it, amen. I'd hate to be able to do wrong and feel good about it. I mean, I wouldn't want to be able to do wrong and feel good about it. You don't need to do wrong and feel good about it. If you can feel good about doing wrong, you're in an awful place. And we need God to give us a holy sense of shame and remorse and uh, have my friend regret again. I won't tell you every sin I've ever committed, I'm ashamed of it. I wish I could say I had never done anything that I'd have to apologize to God for. But I cannot say that. What I can say yes I've never had to come to him and ask for forgiveness and him say you can't have it this time oh we'll confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness oh praise God and if you'll get right you don't have to feel bad if you'll get right you can feel good but while you've done bad and not got right you ought to feel bad about it You don't need deliverance from feeling guilty. You need deliverance from being guilty. Amen. Praise God and the Lamb forevermore. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Not so you could feel better, but so you could be better. Not so you could feel better, but so you could do better. Hallelujah. Amen. And ultimately to make you like unto Him. He died in our place. He drank our cup so we could have His. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Him the God and he said if it be possible for this cup to pass from me except I drink it said thy will be done that cup Psalm 75 and each full of dregs of sin that my friend was was said for us and God he said is the judge and he'll pour it out on the sinner but Jesus took that cup it belonged to me and to you but he said to his men that sat at the last supper said take and drink this is the blood of the New Testament covenant which I've said for you. You see, he drank my cup so I could have his. And then he said, I won't drink it again until we sit in the kingdom anew in the heavens. Amen. Whoa. Oh, bless his name. I'm telling you, I'm not just delivered from feeling guilty. I'm delivered from being guilty. Hallelujah. And now when he sees me a dirty, low down, no count, good for nothing sinner that ought to be in hell, when my neck broke, he does not see me out. As I have been. He does not see me according to what I have done. He has not dealt with us according to the multitude of our transgressions. Praise God, he sees me. washed wash in the blood of the lamb. Oh, he can deliver you. Not only from feeling bad, but from being bad. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord did not come. Jesus didn't come down the cross so you could feel better about who you are. He died on the cross so you could quit being who you've been and be what the Lord wants you to be. Amen. Repentance is not feeling better about what you've done. Repentance is quitting what you've been doing and turning unto the Lord to make you a new creature in Christ. When you turn from sin, self, and selfish way and turn unto God that is repentance. Well, Sin, the essence of sin is your own way. Pride, it is the beginning of all things. That is what God, uh, Satan promised to man in the garden. "Hey, You be as gods. Don't you oh, know, you'll know good and evil. You'll be like God. And my friend, surely, is what Satan lifted himself up in pride. And the the judge for his sin. So also mankind lifted himself in pride and was judged for his sin. And so also this world has lifted itself up in pride. And our nation has lifted itself up in pride. And the average church is eaten inside out with pride. And the average preacher is eaten up with pride. And the average choir is eaten up with pride and the average family is seating up with pride and we will not turn from ourselves and from our selfishness and from our stubbornness and from our sin because of our pride and oh how we need to declare our iniquity and turn unto the Lord tonight. Be afflicted and mourn. I'm in the middle of a verse of scripture from James 4. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. If you've committed sin, today is a day to declare it in the confession before God and turn from it. And Psalm 130 and verse 4 just a piece of a verse. Aren't you thankful for when the Lord gives you something and just maybe not a chapter maybe not a book. Maybe maybe not even a whole verse, just a phrase, maybe sometimes just a word. And the Lord will give you something that will help you. Psalm 130, a piece of verse number four, there is forgiveness with thee. What about that? With me there's judgment. With me there's condemnation. With me there's a path to hell. There is a way that seemeth right unto a mammoth thee and are over the ways of death. If I follow myself, if we God gotten just would surely be lost. But uh, praise God, there is forgiveness with thee. Woo! I declare mine iniquity, not because I'm proud of it, but because he promised me if I'd confess it and forsake it, he'd forgive it and take it away. Hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. And he's faithful and just to do what he said. Oh, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. But he that covers his sin shall not prosper. I will declare mine iniquity... David begins to describe in Psalm 38 what's going on in his life and the iniquity that's in his life and I will not deal with all of this in great detail here tonight but I must make a few observations about this iniquity about what his terms and his declaration here of it is he tells in the chapter number 38 in verse number 1 and verse 2, 3 and much of the chapter especially in verse 3 he tells of the sickness of iniquity. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. You see sin creates sickness, suffering and death. HIV, AIDS, chlamydia, syphilis and monkeypox, God help us and other screaming sins and diseases are reminders in our day that God will not allow the sins of immorality to go unpunished. Hebrews 13 and 4 says my friend that marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers shall be judged. Now I didn't write that. I'm just preaching it tonight. I didn't decide what to preach tonight. The Lord did. I don't get upset with the mailman. All I'm doing is delivering the mail. You'd be crazy today if you went out and found your mailman putting the light bill in your pu- in your mailbox and you said shot him because you didn't like what the light bill said. He didn't write the letter. He's just delivering the mail. And tonight I didn't write the letter. I'm just a postman delivering the mail. And the mail still says that God will judge these sensual and ungodly sins. David describes his life and there was sickness because of his iniquity. He had committed adultery in this thing. And those of you who remember well, he had committed a host of other sins and then tried to cover them and the longer it went, the worse it got. And my friend, he was ashamed of all of those things. Had he got sick because of it. He describes his sickness in verse number 3 as having a symptom of sleeplessness. He said, there's no rest in my bones. There is no way for me to be able to sleep at night. I have no rest in my bones because of my sin. Listen, not only a adulterous had not every adulterous act is only physical and not all of the sicknesses it brings is physical for David he could get no rest his dreams were invaded by regret his tears, hot tears flowed down his face and stained his pillow as he cried over his dead son he wept aloud for his rebellious boy who died as a fool and rebellion against his sinful father and David David cried, Absalom, oh Absalom, would God that I had died for thee. And he could get no rest. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. He could find no place of peace. In verse number eight, he describes the disquietness of his heart. David could see the face of the prophet Nathan and hear his voice as he pointed his finger at David, saying, Thou art the man. And David could not rest for weariness in his sin that had been brought upon him. If you can sin habitually and sleep well at night, I'd be afraid to stand next to you in a thunderstorm. Amen. If you can sin habitually and sleep well at night and just be okay with it, I'd be afraid to stand next to you in a thunderstorm. I'm telling you, friend, I don't want to be able to do whatever I desire and get by with it and feel okay with it. Amen. You can sin and get by. You don't get chastised for it. You might be a church member. You might sing in the choir. But you're not in the family of God. You're not born again. If you were one of his young'uns, he'd snap you up and whoop the fire out of you. Amen. That's exactly right. And for David, there was a sickness with his sin. This sickness brought sleeplessness. And if you can sleep well while you sin, I doubt you've ever been born again. I doubt you've ever been saved. I mean, listen, saved folks don't say things like, oh, preacher, I'm okay. I'm saved. I'm just backslid. It's all right. Saved folks don't talk like that. Lost people talk like that. Saved folks might be backslid, but they don't say, I'm just backslid and it's okay and it's all right. They say, preacher, I know. I'm saved but I'm ashamed of the way I'm living and I know I'm not right with God and I need to get right with God and pray for me I'm not where I ought to be with the Lord that's the way saved people talk when they're not right with God if you can say I'm saved I'm alright I'm just backslid I'm doing what I want to do it's okay don't worry about me I doubt you've ever got front slid you might really need to be born again you need to examine yourself and see whether you be of the faith sickness of iniquity will bring sleeplessness. It'll bring a stench into your life. In verse number 5, the Bible said, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. David was ashamed of the literal smell that came from his infection and he had nobody to blame but himself and his own foolishness. Iniquity stinks. Sin stinks. The prodigal son took his journey into a far country and he found himself neck deep in slop and his stink didn't show up on him. While he was walking away from the Father with a pocket full of money, had he didn't show up while he wasted his substance with riotous living, had he didn't show up while uh, the harlots were hanging around with their perfume, but when, my friend, the occurrence of sin really landed on him, had he found himself in the hog pen, had he came to himself, he looked around and realized what stench there was around, and he came back to the Father's house with the hog's wheel still on him, how he can from the Father. Oh, my friend, the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah was the burning of fire and brimstone. Brimstone is sulfur because sin stinks in the nostrils of a Holy God. My friend, it's our kind of living, but it's God's kind of judgment. Oh, God, help us. And my friend, God is not pleased with what we're doing. God is not pleased with how we're living. And we need to realize my friend, that He's smells what's going on. Hadn't it like in the temple when he smelled the sacrifice? It was a sweet smelling savor. But when he smells sin in our lives it's a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. Amen. The sickness of iniquity is in sleeplessness. It's in a stench. It's in a scourge. In verse number 7 the Bible says for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There is no soundness in my flesh. The sinner may think temptation allures with great promise of pleasure, but when sin works in you, it works loathsome things. You will chase what you love and you'll catch what you despise. Like the dog that caught the car and now he doesn't know what to do with it. That's where a sinner is when he arrives at the place of exceeding sinfulness and realizes who he is and what he's done. The sickness of iniquity is seen in its strength in verse number 10. The Bible says my heart panteth my strength killeth, faileth me for the light of mine eyes it is also gone from me. That's the kind of the shape I'm in I can't hardly see my page that's why I'm not reading it right. My eyes are starting to fail me. Amen. Oh and by the way the reason that happens is because of sin. We're all born headed for the graveyard. We're all born falling apart because of sin. And in said to hear my heart panteth my strength faileth. The light of mine eyes is also gone from me. Sin had just about taken out this man and taken his will to live. He killed a bear when he was a boy to keep him from getting his father's sheep. I mean just killed him with his bare hands. My friend he grabbed a lion by the beard and slew the lion. That's what the Bible said. He took a giant and killed him with a sleeve and a stone, and cut the head off the giant with his own sword. But David found somebody and something that could whip him. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what else you can whoop. How you're no match for how you're no match for sin. You're no match for the devil. How you're no match for this thing of worldliness How you can't sin and get by. Be sure your sins will find you out. Sickness of iniquity is seen in its shame in verse eleven. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from me sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. When David took another man's wife, he thought he would find closeness, companionship, and care. But sin has left him lonely and ashamed. Had to treat it like a gazing stock. Everything he looked for, he did not find. Satan will overpromise and underdeliver every time sickness of iniquity and then there is the strain of iniquity in verse number 4 for mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden they are too heavy for me oh it was too much for him his sin was sin will put pressure on you oh friend Satan is a miserable taskmaster oh friend be sure your sin will find you out and when it does it will put a strain on your life sin will put stress on you it will put age on you how many of the wrinkles on my forehead and yours how my friend could have been avoided how many of the scars in my body and on my heart and in my mind and in yours could have been avoided by staying away from that thing that God told us touch not taste not handle not See unstrains the guilty according to verse 4 according to verse number 6 he said I'm troubled I'm bowed down greatly I go mourning over all the day long it's an awful thing to come to the realization of your own sin the awareness of sin separates man from God sin strains the guilty That sin also strains the gracious people who love you sin puts a strain on them in verse 11 he said those that love me they stand far from me my kinsmen stand afar off my family my friends the people who care about me they'd like to help but they're afraid of my situation. My sin has put a strain on them. All those who wanted to love David were his friends. Have suffered because of his sin. Your sin impacts everybody around you. Sin strains the godly. The guilty, the gracious, the godly. How many times has some sweet little woman said... My husband has done this or that or the other thing and preacher, I don't know what in the world to do and my family's in a mess. She didn't do it. She's got to deal with a fallout, doesn't she? How many husbands have I sat down with that said, I have no mama for these little babies and I don't know what in the world to do. My wife has gone this place and that. Hey, several years ago, I had a man working at my house helping me build a garage and uh, he comes over one day and he can't, uh, he said, "My," he started working and made a mistake or two and uh, he said, forgive me, Brother Toby. He said, my, my mind is just not in it today and my heart's not in it. And he sat down, big old strong, rough, rugged man and put his head in his hands and began to weep out loud like a little toddler and he said I got to tell you something he said I told you that uh, I'd recently got saved and my wife and I go. I went over there to such and such church I almost called the name of it Lord forgive me I didn't mean to do that I went over there to such and such church and uh, I said I got baptized about three weeks ago and he said I'm thankful for that and he said I know the Lord saved my soul but he said my wife and I have been having some trouble and I said that's originally why we went he said I know uh, that I needed to be saved and God saved my soul. uh, And said that pastor over there has been working with my wife and I. And said yesterday after I got home working I found a note and she said uh, that she had left with him uh, and left the babies with me uh, and would not be back. That's been about 20 years ago and she has not been back and neither has the pastor been back. And that new believer saved about uh, three weeks time <laughs> and my friend having to deal with that he hadn't done it he didn't deserve it friend but sin puts a strain on the godly oh God help us verse number 15 he said for in thee O Lord do I hope wilt thou hear oh Lord my God for I said to hear me lest otherwise they should rejoice over me when my foot slippeth they magnify themselves against me you see the enemies." of Israel, the enemies of God, were emboldened against God's people because their leader had been marred by sin. Godly churches suffer because of church members and pastors and deacons' sins. Godly families suffer because of mom and daddy's sins and boys and girls' sins. Godly communities suffer because of community leaders' sins. Oh God help us. And they have I've endured satanic oppression because of the sin committed by others. Amen. Your sin hurts this church. Your sin hurts your pastor. Your sin hurts your wife, your husband. Amen. I would to God tonight I could stand right where I'm standing and preach what I'm preaching with authority and say I've never done anything that hurt any of those people that are important to me. I'm afraid I'd be telling you a fib. You sit there with your horns holding up your halo tonight if you want to and try to convince me that you've never done anything like that. But I don't believe a word of that either. Amen. And our sins hurt our friends and our families and those who are innocent. You're sitting there tonight with that sweet little fellow in your arms and he's leaning his head on your face. And his life is depending on your character. His future is depending on your moral fiber. And with one choice my friend in five minutes time you can change the course of his life for the worse amen or you can choose to do right live right walk right serve God walk with God and invest in him but he will deal with the ramifications of the choices you make my sin and your sin that's a strain on the godly there around us amen The strain of iniquity. Number three tonight. Number three, the sorrow of iniquity. Verse number 17 in our text. For I am ready to halt. I'm just about ready to quit. My sorrow is continually before me. There was no celebration of his sin going on here but it was constant sorrow. David could sing, I am a man of constant sorrow. I've seen trouble all of my days. My friend, there is the sorrow of commission in verse 18. He said, For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. All well, David was not just sorry that he got caught. He wasn't sorry that he got found out. He wasn't just sorry that somebody knew. He was sorry that he ever sinned. He didn't just regret that anybody knew about it he regretted he had ever done it oh 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9 now I rejoice not that you were made sorry but that you sorrowed to repentance if you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by sin nothing you see being sorry for your sin won't hurt you my friend your pathway to help begins with getting sorry for your sin for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death oh my friend there's a sorrow of commission I'm sorry for my sin there's a sorrow that continues he said I'm ready to halt just about ready to give up it's too much for me my sorrow is continually before me all that he seemed to be able to think of was his sorrow for his sin it had overwhelmed and taken over his life then there is a sorrow of contention. In verses 19 and 20 he talks about his enemies. They're lively. They're strong. They attack. They render evil for good. You see when you give into temptation the enemy of your soul is emboldened. Satan does not hold a celebration over your soul and say yippee we got him. Everybody celebrate and then quit working on you. He does not call a truce because he got a defeat in one area of your life. But when you yield to Him in one place, He doubles down His efforts and He begins to attack you in other places. And He comes from every direction, amen. And He puts pressure on you and He tries to totally annihilate you, seeks to utterly destroy your life. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. The devil's not satisfied with wounding you. He's out to kill you. The sorrow of contention, the sickness and strain and sorrow and supplication for iniquity. And verse 18 here's our solution. For I would declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. He prays about this matter and seeks God. <laughs> I like the way he talks in verse 1 when he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot wrath displeasure. He's asking for mercy. The sinner does not look for justice. We are not social justice warriors. We're not looking for justice. We're in need of mercy. Matter of fact, I can't find a sinner's prayer in this Bible, not as they pray it most of the time in the ranks of Hollywood evangelism. But one thing I can pray that ever, or find in this Bible that every sinner needs to pray is in Luke 18 and 13 when that publican bowed before the Lord and says God be merciful unto me a sinner I tell you that's the beginning of the solution for all of us when we realize our sin and we pray and we seek mercy he prays for hope in verse number 15 he says my hope is in him for in thee O Lord do I hope that thou wilt hear he prays for God to hope. I pray for hope in the Lord this is your only hope when you deal with a soul he prays for God to hear in verse number 21 forsake me not O Lord oh my God be not far from me behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear oh praise God but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you know what you need to do you need to start dealing with a sin problem and when we deal with the sin problem, then we can get a prayer through again. Hallelujah. You know my granddaddy's generation could bow their heads and pray for rain and God would shower their crops because they dealt with a sin problem. And now we're living in a world that don't want to deal with the sin problem and we wonder why we can't get nothing out of a prayer life but until you deal with the sin problem I'm not just talking about the world the lost world I'm talking about good folks that are their names are on the road the local Baptist church and they know what it is to put money in the offering and shake the preacher's hand they know how to nod their head like a bobblehead doll while the preacher's preaching know all the right ways to say amen and praise the Lord they even know how to say hallelujah just right amen praise God get on flat ground they say hallelujah how about you get up in the mountains they say hallelujah how you can even know how to say hallelujah right and still be in trouble because of your sin problem. There's a lot of preachers that used to preach but they ain't got to preach left in them because they got sin problems. A lot of churches no power because they hadn't dealt with a sin problem. A lot of families are not going to get healed because of the sin problem. We're going to have to deal with a sin problem if we're going to make it anywhere with God. He prays for hope. He prays for God to hear. He prays for God to haste. Verse 22, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. There's an urgency to his prayers. Your sin problem is not something that can just wait until another time. Every moment it is growing worse and worse and more serious. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Tonight I wonder, has God, the Holy Ghost, put his finger on something in your life that if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you? There's a man in the book of 2 Kings by the name of Naaman. The Bible tells us that he was great. He was a captain and he was great amongst his people and that he had done wonderful things for the people of God. He was even kind to his slaves and his servants. Everything the Bible says about Naaman is commendable. But he was a leper. There's only one thing the Bible has to say about him. The only problem is that one thing was killing him. And that one thing was something he couldn't do anything about. And that thing was happening to a great man. I'm afraid we got lots of Naamans in the church. They've been good soldiers. They tithe and they give missions and they say amen to their pastor and they attend faithfully. But if we could roll back the curtain, if we could roll up the sleeves and see what's under the facade of religion, we'd find leprosy. And it's not that they're hypocrites. It's that they are human. There's some impurity. There's some defilement. There's some disobedience. And it's like a monster in their lives. And they can't seem to get victory over it. The man that wrote this psalm tonight in Psalm 38 is not some hippie down there at the honky-tonk trying to sing ugly songs and so forth. He's a harpist down at the temple and he writes music for the house of the Lord. And he's a man that God says is a man after mine own heart. And yet he's declaring his iniquity. And buddy, it was some serious stuff. If we knew the sin that works in others' hearts, it'd scare us to death. And if we'd be honest about sin that works in our own heart, it'd scare us even worse. I'm going to say something right here. And I've got to quit. But I've got to tell you this. I have not always done right because I wanted to. And you had not either. Sometimes I did right because somebody was watching. I hadn't always done right because I wanted to. And I'll tell you something else. I hadn't always wanted to do right. And sometimes I did wrong while I was trying to do right and I just missed the mark. But there's been a whole lot more times I've done wrong just because I decided to do wrong and I didn't want to do right you're in just as bad a shape and you know what we need to do tonight instead of saying Lord you know I've been trying real hard yeah he knows and he knows we're kidding ourselves when we say stuff like that most of the time we ought to just get honest before the Lord and declare our iniquity you know what it does to me when I do that It hurts my feelings. Now, I'm going to tell you something that some of y'all, you'll relate to and you won't want to tell me that you relate to it. I get down to pray about my sin problem and I'll say something like this, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, if I have in any way transgressed your law, if I have in any way disobeyed your will and I don't get anywhere with the Lord, Because he knows better than that. And he knows that I know better than that. Goes back to the known knowns and the unknowns and all that stuff. He knows that I know better. I mean, listen, no need me coming for the Lord and saying if I've done anything. He knows that I've done something. And he knows that I know I've done something and the thing I've got to do is come before him and instead of saying if I've done something, I need to say, Lord, I have. And I have found out something else and I don't know if he'll let you buy with this or not, but he won't let me buy with it. I can't come before him and say, Lord, I'm afraid I have fallen short and I've done wrong and I sure am sorry. He was just seems like we'll not accept that. i got to tell Tell him what I've done wrong. And it seemed like maybe you can get by with that. But he knows it wounds my pride. It's embarrassing to me to out loud tell the Lord where the area of deficiency and failure is in my life. Lord, I've been a poor Bible student. I sure am sorry. I got up this morning. I, I, I had promised the Lord about three years ago that I would not let my feet touch the floor any day without me praying before I ever set my feet on. On the floor and this morning something distracted me I got a message my wife was calling in early in the morning and uh, I took the call and didn't get it and uh, then passed the message back and realized uh, before I knew it I was sitting in the chair and dealing with the things that went on in the day uh, trying to figure out things uh, and it dawned on me your feet are on the floor and that wasn't enough for me to say Lord if I've done something wrong I had to say Lord I'm ashamed my feet are on the floor and I hadn't even talked to you this morning and I'm ashamed of that I mean if you'll be honest and transparent before God then God will bless you and help you you didn't sin generally you sin specifically And when we confess, though I realize we don't have to confess every individual transgression, but when there is a specific sin that's separating us from God, how we should not confess generally, we ought to confess specifically. And it will wound your pride. But your pride's part of what's wrong with you anyhow. When you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm declaring mine iniquity. Not because I'm a bit proud of it, but because I'm ashamed of it. And Lord, because I can't beat it by myself. If I could have helped myself, I already would. If I could have fixed myself, I've been wanting to be fixed a long time and I just fixed it. I wouldn't be here asking for help if I could have just done it, but I can. not And I'm confessing my inadequacy, my shortcoming, who I am, what I've done. I'm ashamed of it all. And if you'll do that before the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what it's like to be filthy in the field, sweat on your head, or even in the pulpit, amen, sweat on your head, and your clothes sticking to you, and you're just sick of it? And I, I listen, I don't mind getting dirty, but I hate staying dirty. And I worked on bridges, built bridges when I was a... A, a, a teenage boy my daddy built bridges and he want, didn't want me to build bridges so he gave me the dirtiest nastiest ugliest roughest jobs that they had and tried to pay me so little the state made him give me a raise amen and I'd come home so nasty my mama wouldn't let me take off my clothes we had a concrete floor in the washroom and she wouldn't let me take off my clothes on the concrete floor and then reach it down at the drain cause she said I was so dirty it was staining her concrete floor and she made me put, I'd take off my clothes and hose down out before I came in every day I had to do that I don't like being that dirty but buddy I'm telling you it's the greatest feeling in the world when you like that then you get in a shower and you rinse it all off and praise God aren't you glad you used down? don't you wish everybody did amen and you wash your hair real good maybe rinse and repeat a time or two and step out and you got that dove fresh clean feeling to your zest fully clean amen praise God and put on maybe a fresh set of socks uh, and a fresh, uh, clean set of clothes. I feel like a new man. Uh, brother, I'm telling you, there's a Holy Ghost bath available for you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's faith and every sinner plunged beneath that flood loses all their guilty state and you can leave clean tonight. Hallelujah. Everybody stand with us if you would please. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There is help with the Lord tonight. But if you continue in your wanton, rebellious path of unrighteousness and your iniquity, you'll surely die in your sins. Oh, but bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forgetting all his benefits, who healeth all thy diseases, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. I'm telling you, you can get your sins dealt with tonight. We'd be pretending this evening, we'd be playing church if all us religious folks said, We have no sin. For the man that says, I have no sin, he's a liar. Amen. The truth is not in him. It's what the word says, friend. May the Lord help us tonight to deal with our sin problem. Then we'll get closer to the Savior. Let's pray. Pastor, give invitation, whatever you feel like you need to do tonight, preacher. Lord, in heaven, I pray you'd have mercy on me. Lord, tonight I tremble. I'm afraid. I'm scared. At even preaching what I've needed to preach tonight, but I've tried to be obedient to your word. Forgive me, Lord, for the sin in my own heart. Lord, you know my heart. I despise, I despise the sin that abides in my own flesh. And I pray you'd have mercy. God, I'm not trying to be difficult with anybody tonight. I want to be merciful to others, for I need mercy. And you promised in your word, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I need mercy tonight. Lord, I would be dishonest with this congregation if I hadn't preached what you laid on my heart this evening. Lord, I know across this building tonight everybody looks good to me, but you see what I cannot. And Lord, they know their own hearts. They know the temptations of the things that walked down the pathway of their lives today. Lord, you know the people that in this place tonight are walking a straight line, but they're, they're a quarter of an inch. They're right on the bubble away from a blowout in their lives that could just destroy everything. Little boys' and girls' lives are riding on what people do with the message tonight. Oh, God, my family's depending on it. My church is. Help me, Lord, not to be a stumbling block or, Lord, to in any way cast... Uh, Lord, a stumbling block in front of one of these little ones. Help me tonight to be your man and your preacher. Help my family, Lord, be to my children a daddy while I'm gone, and to my wife, a husband, and my church, a pastor. Oh, God, help us tonight to walk the straight and narrow. Forgive us for how we fail you, I pray. Have mercy on my soul tonight, Lord, I'll declare... Before you that I am nothing and deserve nothing. But Lord, I look to you for everything this evening. I pray, Lord, you touch our hearts and help us with a sin problem this evening. And Lord, we'll give you glory for that. We'll give you glory for what you do in our souls. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.